Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Oh, do, do we want to just uh, crap on another hitter before I move on? <laughs> <laughs> We had 9,800 fans in attendance. We packed that park. And there are only about 6,000 seats at Cooley Law School Stadium. <laughs> really aggravated the heel. And you could see the black and blue discoloration on his heel, so they kept him out of the lineup. Never went on the disabled list. And welcome to episode 11 of Artificial Turf Wars, where our starting rotation goes counterclockwise. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as usual, by Josh Housem. Hello, Josh. Hey. And the immortal Chris Sherwin. Chris, how you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, good. I, I'm running out of adjectives to describe you, frankly. Is he going to share his secret of immortality? Not this week. Maybe it's his final <laughs> thought. We don't know. <laughs> he doesn't have final thoughts because he will think forever. We're going to talk about the starting rotation because that would make us happy about Troy Tulowitzki and the hitting, which might not make us very happy. Um, minor notes uh, about Michael Bourne, haha, Cecil, um, Ryan Tapera, all that little coming and going. Um, and then you had a note about the game that the Blue Jays just lost before we recorded this, Josh, about the closer. Long story there. Um, then we're going to do some interviews. We've got a couple of guys from down on the farm, both the voices of the Buffalo Bisons and Lansing Lugnuts are going to talk to us. Uh, we got a cliche. We have Buck Martinez talking about the shift which of course should be fun and then i believe we have final notes we will fit lister questions in if we get enough sound good sure all right that's like all over the place the starting rotation is where we should start because this may be the best starting rotation in baseball unless you count the cubs screw it it's better than the cubs yes i knew it jake Arrieta, you're nothing <laughs> they have the best guy indeed they have the best five and who thought we'd be even, I mean, that might be not accurate, but who would have thought we'd even be saying that and it could make sense? Yeah, nobody. Well, going into the season, I know Josh and I had many conversations about um, guys like Estrada and Hap and fearing that they're not going to be able to go too many innings. And, I mean, just last night, I mean, we're recording on Wednesday, Tuesday night, Hap pitched into the ninth inning. And, you know, he, he, just, he just keeps shocking us, keeps going out there for seven uh, I think Estrada is averaging seven as well. 
Well, the Blue Jays lead baseball in average innings pitched per start. Wacky. Which, I mean, of all the things, again, about this rotation that we thought we'd be saying, if we thought, hey, look, the guys like Hop and Estrada, they could be good, but they don't go deep in games. Well, they're going deep in games. Yeah. The only unfortunate part is they keep handing it over to a bullpen. That even tasked with getting six outs seems completely flummoxed on a regular basis. Yeah, well, that's certainly unfortunate. And it's also, I think, part of why they've thrown as many innings as they have. It's just that the Gibbons doesn't really trust any many people out there. So it's like, uh, let's see if the starter can get us through one more inning. Uh, maybe one more inning after that. And, and then two runs scored. And it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, but they, they have risen to the occasion. And I uh, I saw a comment from someone who, I, I believe it was Grant Brisby, who is a, a Giants writer and writes for SB Nation. And, and he was like, he couldn't figure out how J.A. Happ was doing it. J. Happ, sorry. Um, and, and I look at Happ's statistics, and I look at, I watch him pitch, which is now not agony. I don't know how he's doing it either. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he doesn't strike a lot of guys out. He's not a super control freak. He just gets out. It's kind of weird. It makes you feel well, like it's... Changes his pitch mix every game, and it makes it really hard to plan for him. And that's actually a, you know, a big reason why I think it's working. It's, it's because... Just a, if, you thought, if I thought it was that easy, you'd think more guys would manage to do it. But you also have to have the stuff to do that. I mean, and you can't just be like, I'm going to change it up. <laughs> and then you start throwing a whole bunch of change up and they're hitting over the fence because they suck. So did Hap stuff get better? Um, I mean, he's gotten a little crisper with it. He's also changed it up. He's throwing a lot more sinkers and two seamers as opposed to the, the four seam fastball, which he leaned on heavily when he was in Pittsburgh. So even after changing it and getting better, he changed it and he continued to get better. Yeah. And the cutter is also more like a slutter now, as opposed to a slider, which it was before. It's right. a little harder, and it's moving a little bit less, but it's getting more outs, which, you know, that's kind of useful. <laughs> Anything that gets outs, we're all for that. Um, the last turn through the rotation, the Blue Jays had a 1.47 ERA in 36 innings. It's kind of stupid when you think about it, really. But Yeah, that's reasonably good. I mean, we're only 11 days into May, and nobody has an ERA over 2.60. Uh, not, not counting today. I, I, I don't think that's accurate. What about Dicky? Dicky? No, in the month of May. So oh, month of May. Yes. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. I think well, I mean, had we had the week before, days. they had 1.83 ERA. So yeah. two turns through the rotation under a two ERA. And yet the team is probably like six and five. <laughs> Or well, seven yeah, we can four. get on to the reasons for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want? Do you want to do? Do you want to blame? We'll start with the hitting in general, then, or lack thereof. If if you want your pitcher to work on his strikeout totals, you just bring the Blue Jays to town. Pretty much. It's. I don't know, Chris. What's going on? Why do they suck? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they suck? I wish I knew so I could go to Toronto and fix them. But, you know, it's interesting because uh, there was the one game that we finally got the big blowout game, I believe, what was it, the day after we were talking about it on the podcast? Yep. And everyone was like, okay, problem solved. Which was insane. But, 
Which, oh, yeah. I know, which is just, it's silly when you think, come on, one game and an entire month is just gone and the problems are gone. No, they're still there. I mean, you look at the past two weeks, Russell Martin has still has a negative weighted runs created. Uh, Jose Bautista is hitting a buck 25. Um, I, I mean, Edwin started started to look like he was breaking out, but even he, like in the last two weeks, he's still, he's still hitting 184. Uh, you know, Kevin Pillar, who was hitting everything, has done nothing the past, I believe, four games. Uh, even even Donaldson slumping. Like they they are putting together some runs, but they still aren't hitting. Does it still look to to you like they're not approaching things properly? Like are they? I wonder if sort of panic has set in and it's tough to get out of when you know that the lineup trickles out at at um, Russell Martin and and Tulowitzki. I've seen one game this week and they looked good in maybe one inning at the plate and well, lost for the rest of the game. Many games, but that's probably accurate. You stand it out to the rest of the season. <laughs> um, I, I mean, my, my goodness, I, they, they go into San Francisco. It's like, okay, they're facing Jake Peavy and Matt Kane. Well, they're terrible. And they scored, what, five runs off the two of them in 12 mm-hmm. innings? Yep. Well, I, I, it's just that's the mind-boggling thing. It's like, yeah, okay, you get shut down by Kershaw, you got shut down by Baumgartner or Archer or whoever. All the crappy pitchers are shutting them down. They got shut down by Martin Perez, and, and it seems to be very much of them being in between. It's like, yes, you can you can pick and rec- recognize the breaking ball or the fastball. There's too many guys that look like they're trying to do both. And then Russell Martin is the worst offender of all, where even with two strikes, it's like, oh, I think I know what I'm getting. I'll just swing as hard as I possibly can. And it's like, dude, you don't know what you're getting. And your head isn't even close to seeing the baseball. Um, no, because- there, was a few, there was a few times where he swung at uh, a two-strike pitch that was a clear foot out of the strike zone. Like It, it, just, it looked like he wasn't even trying. It was just, yeah, why not? Okay, Ten- tennis racket at it. <laughs> We're gonna get to Tulowitzki in a second. His batting average is 172. Russell Martin's slugging percentage is 170. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like, what are you thinking, man? Like, make a freaking adjustment. Even if you decide in your brain, okay, I am going to to be a singles hitter until I actually hit some singles. Anything. It's frustrating. Yeah. Because he's still I mean, trying to hit home runs. That swing is not a contact swing. In his last 23 plate appearances, zero walks, struck out 26% of the time. Russell that's Martin. probably an improvement on the percentage of strikeouts. <laughs> no, he walked today. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> he did draw a walk. Well, problem solved. It's all, yeah. it's all fixed. <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> all right. You want to talk about Troy Tulowitzki? Uh, yeah, who, and it's who, actually not going to be about his offense because we've got a question about that, which we'll get to later. Tulo took he, his uh, woes to the field. He has. And this is the really baffling part. Even last year when Troy Tulowitzki was really not that good well, after he came over from Colorado, he's always like, well, you know, it's like, look, look what we had at shortstop last time. We had Jose Reyes. And like, even if Troy Tulowitzki doesn't hit, he's still an absolute godsend because of what he's providing in the field. And yeah. that's what it looked like for the first part of this year as well. But then all of a sudden, it's just like he just stopped being able to catch the ball. I don't know what has happened. He's made six errors in his last 14 games. 
And even on some of the plays he does make, he doesn't look at all comfortable. There was one today where he was, you know, sort of jerked his hand up at the last minute, was looking away. It's like, oh, it's in my glove. I'm going to throw the guy out. I really don't know what is going on, but I don't know if it's his vision or something, but it's really something is going on with him because he's not hitting at all and he's not fielding. And I regret that that's probably going to be a mystery to the, the fans for whatever until he goes on the DL and gets laser eye surgery or something. It's just... Or until it just stops happening. Right. And, well, it'll still be a mystery. I, I don't oh, think right. we'll ever get a straight answer on it. Yeah, you know, I don't you, know. It, it's just it's very strange because of all of all the things that have happened to him, he's never, even in his biggest prolonged slumps, had trouble in the field. Strangeness. You'd think we were talking about a team that was well below 500, but we're not. I swear. A team that's right at 500, in fact. <laughs> that's the Blue Jays' natural home. Has been for almost 22 years. So, you know, nothing wrong with that for now until crunch time. Um, wanted to get an. Oh, do do we want to just uh, crap on another hitter before I move on? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, well, we're good. Before you, before you do that, let's slightly more positive note. They're at five hundred. The hitting has been dreadful. The bullpen has been equally mm. bad, if not worse. And they're five hundred. If they can just turn one of those two things around, they should really climb up the standings. And if they happen to turn both of them back to the level where they should be, this team looks set like it could take off. Yep. We've been on the launch pad for a month and a week now, right? Yeah, this weather patterns have come in of a delayed takeoff. (laughs) (laughs) There's my buck laugh for the night. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. Last time when I said that you did a buck laugh, you did the pull. All right, fair enough. So, uh, Chris, I just wanted to uh, touch base with you. You had an update on uh, on Michael Bourne. Maybe it was Josh who had the update on Michael Bourne. <laughs> Josh? Michael Bourne is no longer a Blue Jay. What? Or a Bison. What? He no. has been released and actually signed with Arizona to go down to double A. <laughs> if this keeps happening by the end of the season, he'll be in, like, rookie ball. <laughs> Where maybe he'll be able to hit again. Um, yeah. So we, we we were asked if we thought there was ever a chance he's going to play for the Blue Jays. I think that has been answered. <laughs> yeah. We firmed up our answer on that uh, with some confidence now, as opposed to the, the resounding vague answers. No. Uh, Brett Cecil left the game because he had a baby. Congrats, Mr. Cecil. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he left a hole in the bullpen, and we filled it with Ryan Tapera. Who in a mere three-game stint did what, Josh? <laughs> he managed to blow a game. Uh, it was impressive. The, the, the Jays' bullpen in this final game of the series against the Giants did really strong work. Stroman didn't have his best outing. But he still went six, left with a, with a 4-1 deficit. But the Jays actually battled back, which they've done a couple times recently, and tied the game in the ninth with a nice big home run from Michael Saunders to dead center. The bullpen then put up six straight shutout innings, including one rocky inning that was Drew Storin and Troy Chulowitzki combining to make interesting. There's like Benny Hill music and everything. Yeah. Well, no, that really started playing when Ryan Tapera came in. Mr. I can get lefties out. Apparently. First pitch he throws, hits a lefty <laughs> in a knee. The, the very first pitch 
in an extra inning game. Welcome back to the big leagues. <laughs> so, and then there's a bunt, which Martin decided to throw to second base on. He bounced it. Tulo couldn't pick it because Tulo can't field the ball right now. And then Tapera threw a wild pitch because why, why make the guy try to bunt the next one? Just let the guys get to second and third. You don't need to give up an out. <laughs> and then after an intentional walk and an out, he walked a batter on four pitches to win the game. It was really impressive. And he was optioned again right away afterwards. They didn't even wait a day. I like that. It's like, yeah, you can go now. <laughs> you can. Yeah, it's like, th thanks for your contribution. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's your shower, your soap, your change of clothes, your plane ticket. Bye-bye. <laughs> uh, I hope the weather's nice wherever Buffalo's playing at the moment, uh, which is South Carolina, I think, which we're about to find out. Uh, yeah, that was that was feeble. The only highlight of that is uh, we got to we got a shrimp alert. Um, you know, if you don't, if people don't know what a shrimp alert is, that's sad, really, because it's it's really the only way to celebrate the most painful play in baseball, the walk off walk. <laughs> um, follow at shrimp alert, and they have a link to the original uh, post that where the tradition of playing a a video of a little shrimp running on a treadmill. I don't know how you get a shrimp on a treadmill even, but there is a video of that uh, every time there is a walk-off walk uh, began. So uh, a little Before bit of we weird on. baseball history. Durham is not in South Carolina. No? It is in North Carolina. North Carolina. My bad. And it is worth mentioning because it is also the home of Duke University, where Marcus Stroman will actually be going to attend his graduation this weekend. So he's going to start for the Bisons? He's going to throw an inning in relief to help him out or something? Or... No, no, he's, he's gonna pull a Vince Carter and come back in the middle of a playoff game. Should pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm all for that. Uh, all right, that. Did you want to address the extra innings tie games on the road? Yeah, I did want to talk about this. I, I think it follows nicely with Ryan Tapera's meltdown. I mentioned how good the bullpen was in this game, and it was. And and I, I'm gonna sort of complain about something that ended up actually working out. My biggest issue is this concept of holding a closer back in a tie game on the road. The, the logic behind it, as managers explain it, is someone's going to have to get the save if you get the lead. But in the extra inning game on the road, when the game is tied, if you give up one run, you lose. If you have a lead, if you give up one run, you're still in the game. So why would you not have your best pitchers pitching when only one run will lose? I just don't understand it, and I've never understood it. I guess further to that for me is you don't know how many runs you're going to score as the visitor for that final half inning. So you may not even have a save to worry about. You could potentially have a three- or a four-run deficit. So, well, that's just an extension yeah, of what I was saying. Essentially, that's what it's I like mean. it's it, zero runs or one or more runs. That's what you need your pitcher to allow. Why not have your best guys throw when they can only allow zero? Yep. Um, someday baseball will come around to logical thinking, but they'll probably have robot umpires by then too, won't they? Yeah, it will be long gone, guys. Yeah, it's been, it'll be a whole other millennium. <laughs> 
All right, uh, we are going to move on from the big league club to a couple of the minor league affiliates. We're going to first uh, up will be Jesse Goldberg Strassler, who is the radio voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. We're going to talk to him in just a few seconds. joined right now by Jesse Goldberg Strassler, who is the announcer uh, for the Lansing Lugnuts, the Blue Jays affiliate down in Michigan. Uh, Jesse, welcome back to the show, even though it wasn't called this when you were last on the show. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me on. I'm a proud Lugnut. <laughs> that, that sounds weird, but okay. Um, <laughs> we are uh, we are calling you. I guess we were reminded of, of Lansing's uh, existence. I guess because a former lugnut was called up this week. But before I get to the specifics, not everybody's going to know uh, Lansing as an affiliate. Where do you fit in the the sort of promotional chain of of the Blue Jays organization? Where would people come from to come to Lansing, and where would they normally go to? Well, if we work our way down, so you've got the Toronto Blue Jays as the top step of the ladder, or as we would call it, the real world. And then AAA is the Buffalo Bisons, AA is the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, A Advanced is the Dunedin Blue Jays, and then Single A, the Lansing Lugnuts. We are the lowest level of full season ball. And then there's short season, which is beneath us. The Vancouver Canadians are one rung of the ladder beneath us, and beneath them, the Bluefield Blue Jays. And beneath them, the Gulf Coast League Blue Jays and the very lowest rung of the ladder is in the Dominican Summer League, the DSL Jays. So we fit right in the middle. And so what we'll see often is the players who have been working their way up through short season ball, whether they were drafted as a high schooler and they've worked through Bluefield in Vancouver, or maybe last year they were drafted as a college student and so they were sent to Vancouver or maybe Bluefield then Vancouver to make their pro debut. And now that they are one season into the Jays minor league organization, they go to spring training, they get sent to Lansing and they're told, well, here you go, start things up in April and good luck with your minor league career. So I like where we sit on the ladder because generally we are the stopping point for guys to explode as prospects. Is there sort of also a view that this is kind of like a real test for to see if guys can handle a full season of professional baseball? Oh, yes. And so because of that, and not just the full season of professional baseball, can they handle cold weather? The month of April. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you've got to throw out the month of April often in the minor leagues. If you look at it right now, Buffalo's not hitting, New Hampshire's not hitting, and we're not hitting. Now, I know Dunedin's not hitting, but they don't have the cold to use as an excuse. <laughs> because of that, you just say, hey, get used to rain and snow and wind, because as I've heard Blue Jays people tell the players, if you want to play crucial games in Toronto, you're going to be playing crucial games in Boston or in New York or who knows where. Maybe you get sent to Cleveland or you're playing a, a big time trip outdoors in Minnesota. You're not going to be inside all the time when it comes down to September and hopefully October. So get used to playing in the cold. This is this is big time. And then, yeah, you hit the wall. The players who hit the wall and I'm going to even say there's a wall in May because now they're a month and a half into the season. They're going, well, there's still a lot of games to go. 
There's a wall right before the All-Star break for us in June. That's the midseason point. And then in July and then in August, they need to push through for the stretch run. So, yes, every single year there are players who go, I thought I was ready for the full season. I'm not. And once they get through a full season in Lansing, then they're prepared to really make a go of things in Dunedin and New Hampshire. Well, they get to go back to Dunedin and they go easy on them because there isn't the cold weather. (laughs) There isn't, but here's the obstacles in Dunedin. The first thing is that they're battling a lack of atmosphere at the ballpark. And the second thing is it is hot and you've got those daily cloud bursts. But I've heard from players that that daily heat really saps the energy right out of you, just like it does for the players in the Gulf Coast League and the GCL at Rookie Ball. It is tough to tell sometimes from players because that heat just takes it right out of you after two weeks. Same thing in Dunedin. That heat just destroys your energy, and the players cannot wait to get to New Hampshire, where suddenly they can play under much more normal conditions. Is there a lot of conversation about that between you know coaches and and, and around the batting cage and everything that the the actual grind of a of a season and and how different places affect you? It is just the understanding of we have to take external factors into mind. If this player perhaps is struggling, why is he struggling? Is he just having troubles with a curve? Is he having troubles repeating his delivery? Or is there something else going on that we need to confront? And yes, it becomes a lesson for the player that it's not just about how today's game goes. It's about handling the entire rigors of a full season. Well, it's interesting because a lot of fans are just like, oh, let's see how the minor leaguers are doing. This is not something they would ever consider. So it's actually, thank you a lot for sharing that. Well, one thing I love to do when I get a chance to look through minor league stats, I just go month to month. I say, Hmm. how did this guy do in June or how did he do in August? And I've learned also you throw out April stats because especially in full season ball, this is the first real league where the pitchers have books on you and where they can start to adjust. So we might destroy a team in April and then come June or July. Now we see how they adjust to us and you start you'll see big time defensive shifts in the Midwest League. We have a lot of left-handed batters who now they're starting to see three infielders on the right side. So what are they going to do? Are they going to shorten up and put down the bunt? Are they going to go the opposite way? Are they going to try to drive it right through? All of these pitchers know who you are. And conversely, all of the hitters know everything about the pitchers. So speaking of, of, um, you know, hitters moving on up like that. Now, you had mentioned in a tweet this week that uh, there was something like 113 or 115 ex-Lugnuts who eventually... Um, got at least a cup of coffee with the big league club. And the most recent one was infielder slash outfielder, Andy Burns. So you were in Lansing when Andy Burns was uh, was coming through? Andy Burns was part of our 2012 team, which I think we're going to look back on and say, whoa, because uh, in the starting <laughs> rotation, you had Noah Syndergaard and Anthony DiScofani sharing a piggyback day. And then you had Aaron Sanchez and Justin Nicolino sharing a piggyback day. <laughs> and Not that's bad. Yeah, Nicolino's now arrived with the Miami Marlins, so here we go. Uh, That's four starters on four different major league teams, all of whom are quality, a couple of whom are, uh, I'd say, a little bit even better than quality. And their catcher, Carlos Perez, has made the major leagues with the Angels, and Kevin Pillar was the starting center fielder, and Pillar was MVP of the league, and now he's there with the Jays. And Andy Burns has now made it to the major leagues, and there are other guys as well. Uh, David Rollins was a Rule 5 pick on the Mariners. It allowed the hitters, because the pitchers were so good, that Andy Burns and Kevin Pillar could sit right in the middle of the lineup and do what they did. And all they knew is, here were our games. Burns, Pilar, and a couple other guys would scratch out some early inning runs, and then we'd win three to nothing. <laughs> it was the best games we've seen. We played games in two hours, five minutes, because it was over. Wow. That's awesome. 
<laughs> Andy so, Burns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, what about what is Andy Burns as a player? What did you see, and 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 how did he develop as he was there? When he joined us that year, Andy Burns had transferred colleges. And when you transfer, you had to sit out a year. He was going D1 school to D1 school. And then the Blue Jays drafted him during that transfer year. So he'd had an entire year on the bench, basically, without playing baseball. He joined us, and he was rough early on. And he told me, I'm just trying to shake off the cobwebs right now and figure things out. So by the end of that year, I believe he batted 245 for us. And he suffered an injury at one point, which held him out some longer. But you could just see this was a dynamic guy who the best thing about him was he could hit for a little bit of power and he could run better than you expected. And he was much more athletic than you expected, but you could play him wherever you needed him on the field. So his bat has continued to play as he's gone to the upper levels and he's continued to show off that bit of pop and the bit of speed, but he plays shortstop or he plays third base or second or first base. And now he started to expand outfield into his repertoire. He is a super utility player. Well, that's yeah. That's certainly something that would be valuable to the Blue Jays, especially now that, well, one they have you know some guys at Ale, like Saunders, right now Donaldson, and they're going to the NL Park. So having a guy that can play a bunch of positions is particularly valuable. But did you see him being a big leaguer back then? Yes, because in the minor leagues, I tell you what, I think as a scout or <laughs> as a normal person coming to the bar, the ballpark, you can see guys who stand out. You can see guys who are just better than their peers. And Kevin Pillar clearly could play better defense than your average outfielder or clearly could get his bat on the ball uh, better than the average player around him. Andy Burns was clearly better than his peers. He was better than the guys around him at doing more things and affecting the game in more ways. So I didn't know what his place was going to be as he made his way up the ladder. But yes, I could have seen Andy Burns is going to have a time in the show. And we'll see how long that time lasts and how he can contribute. And now... Obviously, it's early in the season, as we've talked about. But are there any guys on the team now that give you that kind of feeling? Oh, yes. I would dare say so. I want to stay away from our position players yet because we're only one month and one week into the season. So I've got really high hopes for, let's say, a Carl Wise or let's say some of the other players. I think that they've got the tools to succeed. You just don't want them to run into a brick wall. And every single year, different guys and surprising guys suddenly run into a brick wall. And you wait (laughs) to see if they can adjust. But our pitchers right now are exceptional. Last year, the team was all about offense. We had Anthony Alford and Richard Urania, Rowdy Telez, uh, and, and you could keep on going hitter after hitter after hitter who you could easily see making the major leagues down the road. And this year's team, they gave us Sean Reed Foley and John Harris to start up the starting rotation. And both of those guys making the major leagues would not surprise me one bit. But because the Blue Jays traded away so many players last year, I think it allowed other players the opportunity to step forward and to say, hey, look at me, I can do this. And Francisco Rios, who just turned 21 years of age, he's out of Monclova, Mexico, just a great guy, and already picking up English. I would call him very near bilingual. He throws 94. He throws a curveball, a slider, and a changeup. His changeup is still coming around, but his teammates and Sal Fasano and pitching coach Jeff Ware and manager John Schneider, they all say, He can throw four pitches for strikes. He can throw four pitches outside the zone to get strikeouts. And he goes out there to the mound and he dominates. 
What he did on his 21st birthday, going five and two-thirds innings, allowing one single and striking at 10 to set a new career high. And he could have kept on going, but he ran up against pitch count. And John Schneider said, struck out that 10th batter with your final pitch. That's good enough for now. <laughs> Not bad. Rios is dynamic. And Angel Perdomo, I want to see how Perdomo's velocity rises during the year. Because he's sitting 92 and he's touching 94. But he's 6'7". He's all arms and legs. And he he feasts on these poor batters. I want to take yesterday's start, and I just want to throw it in the trash. He couldn't locate his fastball, struck out a guy on a 3-2, walked a couple other guys on 3-2, ran up against his pitch count in the first inning, and he was done. They gave up one hit and infield single. But with his kind of length, and if that velocity rises even a little bit higher from 92 to 94, there's another future major leaguer. Okay, well, we'll definitely keep an eye on those guys. So it, it sounds like you have a lot of fun projecting what might be on the guys. Um, and then, of course, you, you also discover that um, there is a wall to hit. Uh, I, I think that's a perspective that when people go to a minor league game, they really don't know how to keep that in mind because it's just, you know, a bunch of guys and they want to see the team win. Um, so, yeah, taking the long view or, or getting that information out there, I, I think is important if you're going to go down. Uh, Lansing really isn't that far from from uh toronto i know everybody's you know itching to go to buffalo but i do recommend you if you're going to cross the border somewhere you could always try the lansing lug nuts <laughs> yeah, absolutely let me go back to something that you said i think that one thing that separates the big time players and the players in the major leagues from the younger players who don't have as much experience is simply consistency let's say you come out to our ballpark and you see gunner height hit three line drives all over the place or Juan Kelly, like he did a couple of days ago, RBI double to deep left center, home run deep right center. And then the next day, the guy goes out there and goes hitless. Or Angel Perdomo goes out, five innings, seven strikeouts, you get nothing off of him. And then the next start, one-third of an inning, or two-thirds of an inning, strikeout three walks. All of our guys are just looking for consistency. So it's very difficult to see who's going to actually put it together. But when you come on into Lansing, the experience, the atmosphere of the ballpark, Two days ago for that Rios game, striking out 10 and 5 and two-thirds, Kelly homering, the Lugnuts winning 6 nothing. We had 9,800 fans in attendance. We packed that park, and there are only about 6,000 seats at Cooley Law School Stadium. <laughs> so the atmosphere is awesome. That ain't right. <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> the, we're right downtown. So the parking lots ring the facility, but there are tons of great places. If you enjoy a good drink from now and then, I went right across uh, the street from the ballpark to American Fifth, our great distillery. Craft beer is huge in Michigan right now, rising up. And so you've got Lansing Brewing Company right beyond the center field wall. There's a dueling piano bar. There's sports bars around us. And there's tons of other things to do that are suddenly rising up because of the stadium centrally located right near the state capitol. And so you come on in, and our ticket prices range, what, $8, $9, $10. And it's beautiful. You get to have a terrific view. And because of our new 360-degree concourse, you can watch the game from any angle that you want, and you are right there. And then after Francisco Rios threw the game, he's standing out there, and there's huge fireworks going off. And he walks outside the dugout and walks on up to the crowd, and he's signing autographs all throughout the fireworks because our players are wonderful. They're not besieged by huge amounts of autograph collectors yet. This is great for them, that they're honored that people are coming on out, thronging and cheering them on. This is new. So that atmosphere, that is shared mutually. The fans and the players appreciate this feel, a taste of big-time baseball. 
if uh, that doesn't make you want to go to Lansing, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, but if you can't make it to Lansing, I assume people can follow you on Twitter for some minor league tidbits and such. Um, what is your Twitter handle, Mr. Goldstrass? At J Goldstrass. So uh, my last name is Goldberg Strass. Yeah, it's, that's I, a lot of that's a lot to pronounce. I'm sorry. I <laughs> I, I discovered in second grade that if you took Goldstrass away from Goldberg Strassler, that you were left with burglar, which I thought was hilarious. So <laughs> J Goldstrass, J G O L D S T R A S S, and it's a little subtle inside joke with myself. Uh, all of the best inside jokes are in one's own head. Uh, we do thank you for dropping by to the podcast and joining us. Um, we will, I hope, uh, have reason to talk to you when another ex-Lansing player gets called up later in the season. Well, I think it's going to happen. I'm glad to see Chad Gerardo get the call, and we'll see who's coming next, because it does get surprising that these guys have worked their way up. My hope next is for John Birdie to get the call, whose brother worked in the box office while Birdie was playing for Lansing. Grinder type who plays whatever positions they need and does everything he can to help his team win. All right, fingers crossed. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Now we're going to get promoted. From single A to triple A, the big jump, we're going to go talk to Ben Wagner in just a second. And we are joined now by Ben Wagner, voice of the Buffalo Bisons. How are you today, sir? Hey, the sun is out down here in the southeast of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, so everything's going according to plan, and this interview is timed perfectly because the Bisons are on a nice little win streak today in a place where they have not had a lot of success in the past. So everything's, everything is motoring forward as well as could be expected. Sweet, sweet. Well, nice welcome to, to Artificial Turf Wars. Um, we are sort of, uh, this week, we're just looking at a couple of the different minor league affiliates. So we thought we'd get, uh, uh, some information on some Bison's players. We were going to start off with the guy you don't have anymore, actually, because that's the, the biggest curiosity for Blue Jays fans, I think, is, uh, Andy Burns and what he might bring to the baseball field. Well, I think it remains a little bit more of a curiosity because he hasn't played as much when he got promoted. He had played really well with the Bison's in a nomadic role, as I've called it even last year, but even more so this year, bouncing around the diamond. And it's a, it's a role for Andy that he's really accepted defensively first. He hasn't changed as a hitter at the plate. And the defensive awareness that he's had, knowing that Josh Donaldson is going to be at third base for a really long time, he's probably not going to be able to move a position player from first base. Troy Tulowitzki is locked up up the middle. Not that he's going to grade out to be a major league shortstop anyway, but he understands that he has more value to a major league team or other major league teams showing that he can play other positions. And on the infield, he's very comfortable. He can make plays at second base. His footwork around the bag is sufficient enough to grade out against you know, major league DPs. And third base is somewhere over the last couple of years he's played even more expansively at. And in the outfield, too, that probably is where he continues to work on the hardest. And he's doing that work in batting practice sessions and specifically on the days where he's in the lineup playing in left field or even a uh, short time in right field when he's with Buffalo, he'll go out there and he'll, he'll approach BP at any ball that struck his way as if it was 100% game live. 
So he's going through everything that you would expect somebody to embrace the defensive role to make sure he's as crisp out there as he can be. And at the plate, he knows he's not going to hit 25 home runs a year. So he's out there trying to have a good approach, jump on fastballs, and line it into gaps. Given that versatility and the fact that the Jays have a couple of guys who have a bit of injury issues pretty much everywhere on the diamond, were you surprised that the original call-up when Colabella was suspended was Matt Dominguez? I don't think I was surprised about it. And Matt was by far and away the hottest hitter in the lineup at the time. Hmm. He, had an op- he had an opportunity to, to utilize an option when he was uh, called up. So it was an easy roster move, I think, for the Blue Jays to make. And when, you, when I see guys go up to the major leagues, you want them to go up with opportunity, one, to play, but also when they're going up, to really be confident in their approach. And Matt was that. I know it didn't translate to his major league opportunities and all of what it was, it seven at-bats over the course of a week. But uh, I, I wasn't just knowing the need. And the need at the time for Toronto was first base slash third base opportunity when TC got it got suspended and they wanted to give an opportunity, I think, to, to mix him in and give him, you know, give other guys just some time off. So it wasn't surprising at all to me that they made that roster move um, when and with who they did. I think Andy Burns was a little bit more of a no-brainer for me, at least, because of some maneuverability that you would have in the National League games, the opportunity to double switch, uh, the flex in the lineup where you would, wouldn't have to say, well, I need to make sure I got a guy that can play this position. So just I think it just gels easier for the Blue Jays and John Gibbons. Okay. So um, in, in that regard, as far as, as call-ups and, and send-downs, we know that there's two names that come to mind um, as waiting in the wings. Uh, one is, of course, starting pitcher Drew Hutchison. Um, the other one I'll get to in a second. Uh, Hutchison, I guess, had a good night. Was it last night was his start? Yeah, last night, which was uh, Tuesday night in Durham, North Carolina, he had a pretty solid start. You know, he, he located his fastball a lot better than what he had in the last couple of early innings. And for Drew, what I've seen Drew, there's always seems to be one inning that make it away with an extra walk or maybe an error behind him that he's got to really hone in and pitch on, on a relatively razor edge and try to limit his mistakes as, as much as possible. Um, last night, the difference was a borderline call that got missed and then a a slider that got a busted bat flare into outfield, you know, that's that extends an inning and probably changes his pitch count from allowing him to go six innings to seven innings. I think anytime you get somebody that goes six to seven, you interpret their start as being better automatically because they got deeper into the ball game. But for Drew, you know, when he's here too, he's working on other things. It's the, the spin on the slider. He wants to get the right release point, right feel. So he may throw more of them in a game and the changeup is another specific pitch. I know the Blue Jays really want him to throw more, so they're relying on A.J. Jimenez or Tony Sanchez, who's doing the catching, in certain counts, make sure he's going to it, not allow the shake-off, if you will, in too much frequency to put down that change-up sign and make sure that he's throwing it. So um, I, I really like what I've seen from Drew, and I know that he's just kind of waiting in Buffalo, knowing that there would be another opportunity, either if it's shifting to the sixth man, to get a chance to go up and make that extra spot start or he doesn't want anybody to get injured but i know that the blue jays have a really good insurance policy here in buffalo if there is a need or an immediate need to have a starter go up 
I think Drew kind of got unexpectedly boxed out by a starting rotation that has exceeded everybody's expectations, um, which is unfortunate. Well, yeah, for him. there you go. I, yeah, it's unfortunate for Drew. He's missing out on some significant major league service time, and but he knows what his job is, and he knows the better he pitches here, the easier of a call it is for him to go up the next time that there is a need, or the fact um, that the Blue Jays will be forced to to move him uh, to the major leagues if he continues to dominate at this level. Uh, and not necessarily saying in trade either. I'm, I'm not floating that out there. But, you know, I mean, guys that perform well, you want to see him challenge at the very next level. So the next level is the major leagues. And if he gets boxed out by a, a solid starting rotation, Blue Jay fans are extremely happy with that. And the organization is happy because of that as well. And when the big club wins and succeeds, everybody else in the organization is happy and there's less pressure on everyone. So, of course, the other guy we were familiar with in Toronto who doesn't have a spot to come play every day, and I think that's key, is is Dalton Pompey. He was hurt for a little bit, I believe. Was We have trouble keeping track of this stuff sometimes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not had an easy start to the year. At the end of spring training, he had some turf toe injury that he, he jammed his left foot, left toe, stretching on an extra base hit, trying to go from first to third. So he was out of the lineup the first couple of games for when the Bison season started. He, it was a nagging injury, and speed is such a good part of his game. He wanted to be on the base pads, being aggressive when he was on, and in the outfield without having any hiccup in terms of his stride, his approach. He wanted to be max speed 100% when he was on the diamond. So they said, all right, let's rest him for a couple of days. No, no problem. Gets back in the lineup, hits really well, goes nine for his first 21 or where I think it was what it was, fouls a ball off his shin. And then in Scranton, I remember the play vividly, tries to bunt his way aboard, lunges out for first base, and hits the corner of the bag with his heel. And the soreness started to set in immediately, tried to fight through it. And the pressure points on the bottom of his cleats, he told me, really aggravated the heel. And you could see the black and blue discoloration on his heel, so they kept him out of the lineup. Never went on the disabled list because it was really approached like a day-to-day thing. Some days it felt better, some days it just got aggravated, and it was really sore. So it was just a question mark whether or not he would be in the lineup or not. Um, So it's not been a really good start to the season for Dalton in terms of health. He's had a couple of nagging injuries, and after the hot start, he had to get back on track, lost a little rhythm at the plate. I think it was a 1-for-28 slide. But he started to come out of that, and he's been in the lineup every day since our road trip started, which is really good to one good to see, and and also of course have him in the lineup as a threat. That's always a possibility. And he jumped all over a first inning fastball last night and turned it around and just clobbered it. So his confidence and his timing on the right side of the plate is something you know that always points to positive signs for Dalton. And just going from a current top prospect to a couple of former ones, I'm wondering. We have obviously this guys like Dominic Brown down there and Jesus Montero. When you're around them, do you get the sense that they're even unhappy to be still stuck in AAA given where they've been and, and the success they've had, both of them at least a little bit in the major league level? Well, those two guys specifically, I think any day that they get to put on a uniform, they're extremely pleased about being at a ballpark and, and having an opportunity to play. You, you're right in your assumption that sometimes you have some grizzled guys that are unhappy about a situation, but – they haven't been passed over for opportunities either. So with the way that the Blue Jays are playing right now and just the way that the 40-man roster is set up, these guys are out there and they're playing for for a job and 
trying to harness back success that they know is there. And Jesus had a great season last year, went back and forth to the big leagues, wants to get that going again. And his approach has really been strong. Uh, Dominic, he had a lot of pressure on him in the Phillies organization, you know, as the number one prospect went up, had some defensive struggles, had some offensive struggles, all that stuff's in the rear view mirror, honestly, for both those guys. And I can say this, knowing them on a interactive level in the clubhouse, around the batting cage, and just kind of on a personal level when we're sitting in the middle of an airport at five o'clock in the morning and you get to talk to these guys, they are very well-rounded individuals. They're very easy to talk to, very cordial in conversation. And I've gotten a a chance to know them and really enjoy being around them. So I don't get any, any sort of discomfort about their mental approach right now, or, you know, about any anger about where they're at in terms of uh, situation now in Buffalo. I think that they're both really happy to be playing. And for Jesus too, he's, he's gone through the ringer. He's gone through some highs and he's gone through some significant lows on a personal and professional level. And um, talking with Eric Wedge too, that, was in the middle of all of that when uh, they were together in Seattle. I think, you know, some, some experiences that humble an individual kind of reset the clock a little bit so they take advantage of opportunities when it's in the present. I, I know both those guys are trying to do that now in Buffalo. Well, we'll, we'll certainly be rooting from here, from here, obviously, because the talent they have, but also just because it sounds like they're pretty good guys to be around. No doubt, no doubt. So I was just uh, looking on the Bison's website, and I thought uh... – Next weekend looked pretty interesting. The 20th and 21st is Blue Jays weekend. Um, so do you want to tell us some of the things that you're going to have going on there if people want to make the trip across the border? I would love to talk about it. It is. It started at first in 2013 as a way for Western New York slash Buffalo slash Southern Ontario slash the GTA and Blue Jays and Bison fans to celebrate an affiliation. The, and it was a one-day thing, and it exploded. We had amazing crowds. The the jerseys it were unbelievable that we saw out in the stands. So we thought, well, let's ratchet this up a little bit. And now we make it a Blue Jays weekend celebration. We try to utilize Blue Jays alums, maybe a giveaway here or there. This this year for me, uh, with the people that are coming, and Devon White and Jesse Jesse Barfield, uh, from a fan perspective, that's awesome to get a chance to meet, have stuff autographed with those guys. From a promotional giveaway standpoint, we've got the pennant giveaway and the Marcus Stroman bobblehead. If you're a collector of anything, bobbleheads probably ranks on a collector's list pretty high. And the fact that it is somebody that has had such instant success and is such a polarizing figure personally and professionally like Marcus Stroman, an opportunity to be at the gates and grab one of the first 3,000 bobbleheads, it'll be a really coveted promotional item on the Bison schedule for the entire year, let alone Blue Jays weekend. So it's a great it's a great way to do uh, great promotions, great giveaways to excite the fans to get into the ballpark. And then when you're at the ballpark, we if it's your first time or it's your 50th time coming to Coca-Cola Field, uh, this is the time of year where the ballpark really starts to hum. And I, I know this from talking with people that have visited for their first time and then come back second and third time. They really enjoy sitting outdoors over the weekend. We've got a day game and a night game. It, it's really special. And that weekend specifically, we come up with video features and montages that our production staff does a tremendous job doing uh, that highlights, you know, the players that make the connection, that have gone up the QEW and helped the Blue Jays win, both in the modern day and over the last three-plus years of the Blue Jays affiliation and then having Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman kind of as the highlight guys. 
uh, of that kind of graduating. I can't forget Kevin Flaher. My God, um, he's one of my favorite <laughs> players to watch. To watch, period. And, and you know, he had he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder when he was in the minors. Guys wouldn't give him a, a chance to play every day. And now that he's now that he's going out there making highlight reel catches and and um, really, I think making a nice adjustment to cement himself as an everyday big leaguer. It's no surprise for guys that got to watch him play every day. You knew that the the talent was definitely in there. So. It is an awesome weekend, and be looking at Bisons.com as well because a couple of specific things will break in the next couple of days to incent the fans from southern Ontario and the GTA to come and visit with us as well, and uh, we'll, we'll save you some cash. So I can't give too much away, but there's there's a little nibble uh, of, of the carrot dangling in front of your face to, to make sure you visit Bisons.com. All right, sounds like an action-packed weekend, to say the least. Um, usually, before I finish off the interviews, I give our guests an opportunity to plug their Twitter handle. Would you like to plug your Twitter handle? Because I know you have one. I'd love to plug away. Yes, BenWag247. It's easy to spell. B-E-N-W-A-G, then the numbers 247. That's the Twitter. And uh, I try to provide some in-game nuggets and... Uh, notes about the Bison's travel or trends and uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff as well. So hopefully it's a good follow. Uh, I enjoy doing it. All right. Well, folks, if you're looking for a little more Bison's uh, inside info and action, it's BenWag247. Thank you, Ben. It has been an excellent chit-chat with you, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Enjoyed speaking with you today. And good luck to the team tonight. Or this afternoon, All I right, should thanks. say. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. the farm so to speak uh yeah I, I, are, are you going to get down to buffalo for blue jays weekend i wish i could but alas i have other things going on well, and by the way everybody in case you aren't yet aware yet the blue jays did call up andy burns <laughs> <laughs> if, I, that may have come across at some level during the last i don't know 30 minutes worth of talking on and off about andy burns the blue jay uh, <laughs> uh we have lister questions uh to look at obviously um nothing about andy burns because yes, we just told you, well, wow we just told him he'd been called up and already we got a question it's incredible yeah. i know these people are fast so andy burns uh, the question related to Andy is from John Leggett at John Q Legs. With Goins looking like the tire fire at the plate that he has usually <laughs> been, chances that Burns takes over the utility role. I always laugh at the tire fire image. It just reminds me of The Simpsons. Um, well, I think right now Burns already has the utility role because he's been backing up or pinch hitting for outfielders and he can play left, he can play right, he can play center. He, the real question, I think, is whether he takes over a platoon of the second base role. If Goins really does continue to struggle, you might see Burns getting more time against lefties and Darwin Barney playing against righties with Goins even going to the minors for a spell. Just because they have the defensive wizard in Barney if for the days when Burns is starting and has to come out late. I don't think it's going to happen, but it very well could if Burns actually shows that he can hit major league pitching. Because Lord help us, Ryan Goins cannot. 
No, he really can't right now. And Devin Travis has started playing extended spring training games, but he's still probably a good month away from returning. I'll take a month at this point. I'll take five weeks. Anything to get a guy in there who appeared to have a good approach and good execution. It was just, it was just nice. I'll, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll take a little hit at defense, right? Uh, do, 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 do. Would you like a question, Chris? I can give you a question. Uh, I will take a question. All right. From Matt Sullivan at Sporkless. And yes, this man actually is out of Sporks. I've looked at his Twitter bio before. Um, aside from the big two, who would you pursue for a contract extension now? Saunders, Cecil, Chavez, or even Dickey? Someone else? Now, uh, I think we discussed this just a minute ago. Smoke would be the someone else, potentially. Yeah. I think given those choices, I would probably go with Michael Saunders. Would you Would you pick up one of the... Um, so you, Okay, do we think Saunders is a good bet now that he's actually been healthy for... I wouldn't straight. extend any of them. <laughs> I mean, th- that's the thing. I wouldn't any of them. But if I had to choose, it would be Saunders. But I would <laughs> prefer not to extend anybody. The question wasn't asking if you had to choose. <laughs> yeah, it was aside from the big two. Who would you pursue? So your answer I is... Think he wants, I think he wants at least an answer. Come on. But that is an answer. The answer is Nobody. that none of them are really worth an extension at this point. I mean, I guess you could explore talks with Chavez if it's like if he'll take a deal for, you know, the kind of money that makes it worth it for his role. But I don't see that, that happening. And you're obviously not going to extend Cecil or Storin. Not so after the- Saunders is the only guy that really makes any sense, but you just can't assume he's going to stay healthy, right? Yeah. No, no, you really can't. But the dollars so- are not going to be the kind of dollars that we're talking about for other guys anyway, right? If, if you could get Saunders for, uh, what, 320? Oh, I don't think you want to give Saunders a three-year deal. How old is he? Even at that money. How old is Saunders? Who cares how old he is? The issue is that he just can't stay on the field. Even in his quote-unquote healthy seasons, he wasn't healthy. I mean, his career high in games played is 139. So all of those guys are kryptonite. Fair. (laughs) No, I mean, he was uh, two years, 14 million, 15 million. I'd probably do that, but I just wouldn't go to three. So you're obviously not QOing any of these guys either. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> there are two guys who are getting them, and they're the two that he didn't bother to list in the question. Fair enough. Uh, we have one last question. Yes, this is from Quinn. It's a longer question, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. Basically, he's saying that Trotsky has hit 20% more fly balls and 20% fewer line drives than his normal numbers, and that's obviously part of the dip in his batting average. And he's wondering how much this has to do with his new swing versus just bad luck. Uh, well, his new swing didn't really get put into play after spring training. The leg kick disappeared, and a lot of the things he's doing, Chris, I think you'll back me up, are pretty much the things he was doing when he got here last year. Uh, he's just not making contact and not commanding the strike zone particularly well. Can't argue there. Sad, yeah. really. And as for the line drive and fly ball rates, it's really, really early to really pay attention to those kind of things for a hitter, especially one who puts the ball in play so rarely. <laughs> now, a couple a couple balls here and there will totally change those numbers. Yeah. But, yeah, he doesn't look like a guy who's hitting line drives, though. No. Nope. Or ready to. 
uh, and that, I believe, concludes our listener questions for this week. We had some concise answers, didn't we? I like yeah. that. We also, you know, we didn't want to have too many questions just because we did have the two interviews. Don't want this to run too long. Alrighty, we will go to my pick four cliche of the week because I heard a lot about how Marcus Stroman or, or maybe Aaron Sanchez, I don't remember, how he played shortstop in some level of baseball before he became a pitcher. And then I heard some random other pitcher from Buck and Tabler how he was a better fielder because he played shortstop. So... For all of you who are thinking, wow, these guys must be great, I, I would I would take it to my two baseball-playing friends here. Uh, Josh, did you ever play shortstop? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Chris, did you spend any time at shortstop? Sure did. <laughs> uh, would generally... either of us say that we're shortstops? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> so I'm guessing you didn't. You didn't get kicked out of shortstop because you were so much better at, say, pitching or third base. I, I'm guessing you got kicked out of that position because there was someone better at shortstop. Someone with actual range, yes. Someone who could actually play the position well, as opposed <laughs> to, this guy's pretty decent at baseball, we'll put him at shortstop because we don't have good players. Yeah. yeah. So, for reference, pretty much every level of baseball consists of putting a guy, the very best guy, at shortstop because it's the hardest thing to do on a baseball field and then if someone comes along and can do it better then you get bumped to some other less demanding defensive position um and usually by the time you get to the major leagues the people you were looking at at for most of their career until they got to the major leagues were the best guy on the team that's why they're in the major leagues. They were already better than like 95% of all the other players out there. So they got put at shortstop. Doesn't yep. That they were good <laughs> shortstops. Um, and then immediately when they entered that top 5%, coaches and other folks discovered that they weren't good enough to play shortstop at that level and they moved on. So, yeah. Also, the, the rather strange logic that somehow a a, a guy who was recently a position player trusts his stuff more because he knows how hard it was to hit is so misguided because it that means that a guy like Rick Ankeel who was a pitcher would be like the best hitter ever in the history because he would know how hard it was to pitch <laughs> it doesn't hold up just because you did one doesn't mean you have some killer insight into the other and now now approach it completely differently because also for the record for like a week rick ankiel was the best hitter ever and then he also holds the record for most consecutive strikeouts <laughs> so you know um let me guess you guys all you both at some point pitched well obviously yes, josh, pitched did. A lot. josh is, yeah but, <laughs> but yes honestly, i did too see chris also pitched so chris understands pitching better than a guy who never pitched <laughs> Even though you probably pitched at what twelve? No, no, no. I, I pitched a lot older than that, but there I was you go. catcher mostly. Yeah. But you know pitching now, Chris, by Buck and Tabler's logic. Yeah. <laughs> Ergo, you're a better hitter. Uh, so yeah, next time you hear someone played shortstop, yeah, just like everybody else on the team. Remember, Russell Martin wanted to play shortstop for Team Canada. Instead, he's played second base for the Blue Jays. Yes, he has. You always go so quiet on those. Th those are important points to emphasize. Um, Instead, he has played second place for the Blue Jays. And I, said, I screwed it wrong. I, ah, I just, I'm going to stop talking. Second now. place? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so that was the cliche. But um, also, we talked last week, Chris, about about Buck Martinez and shifts. So I'm gonna play. There's this actually is kind two, of a do-over. It is sort of. I'm gonna play. Um, I'm gonna play the first part of a clip, and I'll allow you to comment on on how you feel about what Buck says about shifts, and then we'll uh, we'll come back to it. I know everybody utilizes the shifts, but I've said this before about the Blue Jays infield. When you have exceptional defenders, you're handicapping yourself when you shift so dramatically. When you have guys that have exceptional range, I think you're giving away your advantage by playing the exaggerated shifts. Play them straight away and let them get to those balls. So that is a strong opinion, Chris. What do you think of that opinion on shifts? You're just sighing from the microphone. Can you, can you actually hear my sigh? I mean, I ranted about this last week. But this, this is a man who's a professional baseball player, managed in the big leagues, uh, broadcaster for years, and is now an author. And yep. I, I just I don't know how he doesn't fall down more. How has he accomplished so much and lacks so much knowledge of a game that he's been around his entire career? It just, it boggles my it, it, I get in a headache just thinking about it. And okay, that's exactly the what, what yeah, <laughs> in in isolation, that's what that first part of the clip would tell you is he's is he is at at that level of obliviousness. But somehow part 2 makes this weirder. I'll try to Lewitsky made a fine play here to end the inning, get Marco Estrada out of this trouble. But look where he is playing, just in behind the second base bag, shifting Gonzalez to pull. That's what they do. They get the shortstop in behind the bag, right off the mound, and that's where that data comes in handy. Okay, I'm going to pause it here. You're, everybody is expecting him to crap all over the shift somehow right here. I was. I was thinking, okay, he's going to say something bad. The shift played perfectly. They're turning a huge out in this ballgame. Yeah, and... Overall, you know, the shifts have really made a difference. It's difficult to get hits through the what? infield now. <laughs> Every once in a while, a broken bat ground ball will sneak through and cross up the shift, but most of the hard-hit balls are hit into the shift. I know it. <laughs> I like, could sound more with... enthused about it, too. <laughs> He's so disappointed that it works. <laughs> but he... I blame Tabler. <laughs> No, seriously. Because <laughs> he doesn't call him out. Yeah, so so like someone else comes on and says this. He's like, ah, oh, crap, I got to agree with this because it makes sense. <laughs> when Buck's the guy who gets to start the conversation, there's no argument. How Buck can you hold... just, yep, yes, sir, yep, yep. <laughs> Those two opinions in your head at the same time. You're <laughs> handicapping your defense by allowing them to play things perfectly. <laughs> like I'm holding my hands apart like I've got a thought in each hand and they won't go any closer together but they both fit inside Buck's head somehow. It's very funny. It, it doesn't end there, guys. It doesn't end with shifts. It, no. it, pitcher wins. It, just, it, That's true. Everything. Yeah, he has he, opposite opinions on a bunch of things. Yeah, he contradicts himself 40 times a game. It's unreal. <laughs> as we said last time, this podcast would be half as long without Buck Martinez. <laughs> it is absolutely true. Um, speaking of the podcast and its length, it is time for final thoughts. Uh, we'll go to... Chris first. Okay, so I get home from work tonight and I discover that the Jays lost on a walk-off walk. And it got me thinking and I noticed a post from the Blue Jay Hunter, Mr. Ian Hunter and he was on the same wavelength as I was and he made a post about the wacky ways the Jays have lost this year. And I'm going to run that on this wacky list. 
On April 5th, Say wacky we had... More. No. <laughs> okay, one more. One more. The first wacky loss came <laughs> on April 5th against the Rays. Uh, the Jose Bautista slide in the second base when he hooked the guy's leg and it looked not, like the Jays took the lead. Not a bona fide slide. No, it wasn't. And it was an automatic double play and the Jays lost after we all went nuts on Twitter because they went ahead in the game. It's like, no, 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 pull that back. You lost because of a hook slide. Then on April 20th, against the Baltimore Orioles. I feel a wild pitch bottom, coming on. In the bottom of the line, there was a wild pitch that totally just didn't catch. So a pass ball? Passed ball. Did I say wild pitch? Yeah, I said wild pitch. I threw oh, you I, off. I actually, uh, yeah, you did. Jeez. Passed ball. <laughs> that totally just couldn't catch. Blue Jays lose. April 25th in Chicago White Sox. Runner interference. Ends the game, Mr. Troy Tulowitzki. <laughs> runner, runner interference. Are you kidding me? And then tonight, May 11th, a four-pitch walk-off walk in extra innings. Like, there, what's next? Yeah, I was going to say, is, is there a theoretical <laughs> end to this list? But I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for the disputed, like, home run, foul call, fan interference, um, umpire thing. No, the next one's going to be that runners past each other. That happened to the Marlins this week, so I wouldn't put yeah, it past home run. these guys. Uh, oh, no. Hey, we haven't had a missed base. Oh, that's that's a good one, too. They tried to do it to, to Tulo last night, and he actually hit the base. So there's the other possibility. Baseball is full of many, many dimensions of absurdity, and the Blue Jays are trying to explore them all right at the end of <laughs> games. Uh, you had a final thought, Josh? Actually, I have two. All right. Well, the first one on. is just... Congrats to Max Scherzer, who just struck out 20 batters oh my. without a walk. I read an article last week that said, will, will anyone ever strike out 20 guys again? And I thought, well, with the number of guys who strike out, maybe. Yeah, that was Dave Schoenfield, and he called himself out for that today. That's the do-over. <laughs> supposed to work. He's like, yep, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, impressive start. And he was the first pitcher ever to strike out 20 in a game without, with 120 or fewer pitches. Wow. Anyway, my Jays-related final thought relates to Franklin Morales. Did you guys remember that Franklin Morales was on the Blue Jays roster? Yes, I believe he's accruing Major League Service time as we speak. Yeah, that doesn't really matter in terms of free agency, but he has a clause in his contract that says after 45 games, his $2 million becomes fully guaranteed. 45 days. Not games. Emphasis on the not games because days are going by. Correct. (laughs) That comes up. Next Wednesday, the next time we record, his time will be up. They cannot cut him when he's on the DL. Wow. And nobody knows what's wrong with him. He has soreness, but there's no been nothing in the MRIs, nothing in the x-rays. They don't know why his arm hurts. It's just that it does. And he's not pitching. And he's going to collect $2 million. Good old baseball contracts. Oh, yeah. I still don't want it like the NFL, where they'll cut you because you sneezed. Um... Uh, my final thought, uh, Clinton Holland, Blue Jays minor leaguer, was for the second time suspended for a drug of abuse. Um, that to me is a lot more unfortunate than PEDs. I'm hoping he gets sorted out because it seems a shame to throw a baseball career away for illicit substances, um, which we don't have a lot of information about but um hopefully um we get some more information on that 
coming up this week. Um, maybe an understanding where he's coming from on that. All right. That, that covers it, doesn't it? I think it does. Okay, so the housekeeping, as usual, you can follow the podcast at TurfPod. You can follow me at Coolhead2010, Chris at CW Sherwin, and Josh at Joshua Housem. This has... Oh, yep, got everybody there. Yes. This has been <laughs> <laughs> the Artificial Turf Wars episode number 11. I have been Greg Wisniewski. You have been Chris Sherwin and Josh Housem. Our guests were... Jesse Goldberg Strassler and Ben Wagner. And we will see you next week. Andy Burns is a Blue Jay. You heard, you heard it here several times. <laughs> <laughs>